I'm feeling a little more comfortable this week. It's, it's amazing to me. I've been speaking for over 40 years, and last week, I, you guys made me a little nervous, and I don't know why, because I usually don't get nervous, uh, but it has just been wonderful, and I, I want to um, give you a thought, again, about the church. Um, in the very difficult times, the Bible talks about the end times and difficult times and how tough it is. It says, it'll be so tough that men's hearts shall fail themselves for fear. And we live in a society that kind of uh, markets, dwells on fear, tries to, because fear manipulates. So you know that is evil. It's not good. Fear, that's why we don't want fear to control our lives. Can anybody say, hey, I... You know, I like Second Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love. And actually, it means a disciplined mind, a sound mind. So I like that. But I, I want to say this in light of that in the context. It says, also, those who endure to the end shall be saved. And it's talking about difficult times. And then kind of flip that a little bit forward and say to you, you have endured to the end. I know a little bit history of your church. I knew uh, both of your pastors, not real well, the previous pastors. I know your current pastor very well and his wife. And I, and I say this, that you've been, you've been faithful, you're enduring, and transition and change is important for all of us. We need to change as people. Can you say hello? Yeah, I believe if you're not changing, you're dying. That's how I, I believe that's a scriptural principle. But what I'm saying is I think your journey ahead, um, both your pastors had a place to get you to here. And now you're moving to a third place. And again, I just want to say this, that I really, really, I quoted the scripture um, two weeks ago. I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor is the heart of men perceived what God has for those who love him. And corporately, we can, we can include that as well as singularly, as individually. So I just want you to be encouraged because you've endured to the end. And now it's not time to quit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You got to keep on moving. So with your pastors, I can tell you about Josh and Kylie. And I was just sharing this, uh, that they love people and they love God. And together, I believe God's going to do great things that you haven't even dreamt of yet. If you uh, can agree with me, wave, say amen, or say something. I don't know. Anyway. Well, this morning, uh, I hope y'all... Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Man, I had too good of a Thanksgiving. We had about 20 people at our house, a lot of young people right at your age. I love young people because they make me forget I have gray hair. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So it was good. Uh, I'm looking forward to Christmas. Um, it's a marvelous time for, again, for those of you who know and don't know, I'm born and raised Jewish. Uh, I didn't really celebrate Christmas. I had a lot of uh, Christian friends that did. But once I became a believer in Jesus, I understood the principle behind it. And uh, I really enjoy Christmas now, especially at our house. And when I say our house, my wife has a huge family, and we all get together. And her house is, her family is just full of music. And we have church before we even do anything, and it's a great time. So I, I hope you're excited. I'm excited. 
Today I want to talk about some of what we already sang about. Thank you, worship people, for uh, the great songs. And uh, you do have a good voice, but don't let it go to your head, okay? <laughs> I want to talk about the greatest commandment. Uh, if you have a Bible or you want to follow along in your iPad or your phone, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 12. Um, my style is at this point in my life, and my life has evolved and changed. Like I said, if we're not changing, we're dying. And because I'm a missionary to the Jewish people, a lot of what I do incorporates the Old Testament. And when I say that, I want you to understand it's not two testaments, it's not two books, it's one book. Old Testament and New Testament, it's one book. And we can't look at it as two covenants. It's one covenant God made with a man named Abraham that led all the way to Jesus. In fact, if you read the Gospel of uh, Matthew, not Matthew, um, yeah, Matthew and, and John, you'll understand that. But today, if I was to ask everybody in Dwell Church how many of you love God, I'm pretty sure most of you, if you have a relationship with God, would say, I, I'm one who loves God. Um, love is an interesting thing. Language is another, because we also say, how many of you love chocolate chip ice cream? I love chocolate chip. My father-in-law, he's a pecan butter something. But we all have a favorite ice cream. And it's interesting to me that we use that same word love to describe a relationship with an individual or with God, as well as something we eat. And uh, in biblical culture uh, and other languages, and if you speak another language, you know that a lot of times words don't always translate exactly the way and the bible's like that it's not that it's difficult it's just that it takes sometimes a little bit more work uh the interesting thing about loving god and loving ice cream is this we can have a bad day and sometimes we question our relationship with god if god really loved me this wouldn't have happened i see a few of you smiling so you think, mm, well, maybe today. I like God. I don't love him. But with chocolate chip ice cream, even when you're having a bad day, you still love chocolate chip ice cream. In fact, some of you run to eat the ice cream on a bad day. Anybody living at my house? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, so it, it's an interesting. I want to draw these parallels and lay a little bit of a foundation. In Matthew chapter 22, 37, a Pharisee, there were Sadducees and Pharisees. I don't want to go into great detail. There were basically um, uh, different ways of looking at the Word of God. The Pharisees were the guardians. They're actually today, there are curtain Jewish, an ortho, sect of orthodoxy that are, call themselves the Pharisees. That exists today. And let me just clarify this. You read in the Bible, and all the time you hear preachers preach, and it always sounds like the Pharisees are bad guys. The Pharisees were not bad guys. Some of them were corrupt, but some people in life are corrupt. And they're in the church and out of the church. In fact, Joseph of Arimathea, 
who came to gather the body of Jesus, who paid for the tomb, was a Pharisee. And I say that because I want you to understand and not have these built-in bias that sometimes we have when we read the Word of God, because we need to be objective. All of you who have been to school understand critical thinking. And the Bible's okay to think that way, to understand it, to go beyond what you've been told. I don't like people that regurgitate things anyway. Anybody living at my house? I think I have your attention. But um, the Pharisees, or those who were trained in the law, they were legal experts. They were the ones, in fact, Jews do this in Israel. They will say, well, I need to ask my rabbi. If you come from a Catholic background, you say, well, I need to ask my priest. Now, very few Christians go and ask their pastors, but some do. But you can ask God, too. Hello, anybody living there? These Pharisees confront Jesus and ask him, what is the greatest commandment? Now, to me, this is hysterical because every Jew who's ever been raised knows the greatest commandment. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Oh, hear with your ear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Sometimes the word is strength is, is interjected there because it brings two concepts it's, you don't even have to be religious, but if you're a Jew, you know what we call the Shema. And the Shema means to hear with your ear. That's why it's Shema Yisrael. Hear, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And that's a profound statement within Jewish thinking. This Bible is written by Jews, and most of the time about Jews, about the king of kings, who is a Jew. So it's a perfect answer uh, when Jesus answers the Pharisees, but it's almost funny because it's like the ABCs of Judaism. And Jesus answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Then he puts a clarification. I love it when God does this. He then clarifies his statement in verse 38, the following saying, this is the first and the greatest commandment. In fact, there's a lot more we could say about that, but I want to emphasize the first and the greatest commandment. Two things that Jesus says. Not in the, he's quoting the Old Testament, but he's writing or living the New Testament because it's not two books, it's one book. Don't think about it being two books. Don't think about grace canceling out the law. Jesus said, and we'll talk about this in a little bit later, if you love me, you will keep my what? Does anybody know? Commandments. Actually, it's the Hebrew word mitzvot. And there are 613 mitzvot or commandments that were to keep. Now, we know because of Jesus, he wouldn't even came if we needed to keep the law to, to reach God. But Jesus didn't say he didn't come to cancel the law. He came to fulfill the law. And I say all of this to help bring this together so we can understand. When Jesus makes a statement, he's quoting the Torah. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy. In fact, today, even religious Jews include this passage called the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. They include it in their daily prayers. And it's said actually twice a day, in the morning and in the evening of religious Jews. It was the first prayer that Jesus actually heard as a baby. Tradition, and remember, um, Jesus said not all tradition is bad. 
He said the traditions of men. The same thing is true within the body of Christ or the church today. It's, uh, is Christmas a bad thing? But it's a tradition. And I say that to help you to understand, not all traditions are bad. Jesus even said that. Traditions that honor God are good. Thanksgiving is one of my favorites. Not only do I get to eat, but I get to thank God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is Jesus said you have to watch the traditions of men. When men take the word of God, they twist it and pervert it to use it for themselves, is what he's talking about, and make a tradition that you couldn't keep. Jesus, again, and I, I need to move fast, but I, want to, I don't want to say things that you don't understand. He said to the Pharisees one time, you pay tithe on a mint leaf, and yet you, you neglect the greater honoring your mother and father, which is one of the big ten. And that's what he's talking about in this concept. So the first prayer, the tradition, heard by a baby boy is called the Shema. On the eighth day, something takes place in a Jewish family when a boy is born. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant of Circumcision. It's an identity. It's an outward mark of an inward work, kind of like baptism when you think about it. There's similarities and parallels that follow through here. And what happens is on that seventh night in the evening, People begin to pray near the baby, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, O hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the tradition says that a child will first, this is the first prayer they will hear, the greatest commandment. It may not move you emotionally, but it moves me emotionally. Because think about it. This child can't even understand. Its brain is not developed. Yet the osmosis of God's word is going forth into those lives. I can comment on this. That's why you train a child in the way they should go. So that when they get old, they will not depart from it. It doesn't mean that they won't depart. It means should they depart, guess what? They know where to go. They have an anchor. Oh, I remember my mother praying over me. I remember my father praying over me. So the tradition within Jewish lifestyle is that the night before a Jewish child enters in to the life of the covenant of Abraham, which is the promise that God gave that brought us Jesus, that they hear the Shema for the first time. The tradition goes even further than that. As I said, Jewish people will pray that prayer in the morning, in the evening prayers, and it goes even farther. It's supposed to be if you have an opportunity when you're dying and you're laying in your bed, you again recite the Shema. Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. We sang about this. With all your strength or your mind. And they're interwoven here when we say this and we understand this. And all that I'm saying is for one reason. Jesus called it the greatest prayer. He called it the greatest commandment. 
I want to read to you Deuteronomy. The context. Chapter 6. And I'm going to start in verse 4 instead of verse 1. You can read it on your own. It says, O hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk about them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. That's a lot of talking about God. I hope your houses, the environments where it's conducive to talk about God, is being talked about. And this is, again, important because we're going to go somewhere on this journey together in understanding the greatest commandment. That God is not something we decide we're going to talk about on Sunday. God is giving commandment to a people who only knew the power of God. They had been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. They were there for 400 years. It started out good and ended bad. Anybody been in a life situation like that? I've been in a few jobs that started good and ended bad. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And there are times I wanted to praise God and I didn't. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I wanted to curse the boss a few times. But God is talking about, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be frontals between your eyes. The New Testament calls phylacterics. In Hebrew, we call them sphilim. They are prayer boxes. You've probably seen pictures of Orthodox Jewish men with these weird leather straps around their arms with a box on the back of their hand and another box right between the frontals of their eyes. They're called phylacterics. Within those leather boxes, and as weird as that looks, are the prayer of this particular passage of Scripture. And God is telling them to wrap them around their arms and between their eyes. And then it says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If you've ever had a Jewish friend, he had something on the threshold of his door. It's called a mezuzah. And you probably watched them. They would reach up and touch it and sometimes kiss their fingers. It's kissing the word of God. It's not some kind of icon. It's a reverence before God. Jewish people have them. I know many, many Christians that have them. It's this prayer that we're talking about. It's this commandment that is on the doorposts of Jewish homes. And it says, you shall write them the doorposts of your house and your gates, so it shall be with the Lord your God. He brings you into the land. He swore to your fathers of Abraham. Talking again about Israel coming into the promised land. He swore to Isaac and Jacob and to give you beautiful cities which you did not build. I, let me just read the last verse. Houses full of good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant when you've eaten all and you are full. God is saying something very, in my opinion, very profound here. 
Anybody prayed 400 years? Israel did. And God sent a deliverer. His name was Moses. He's a type of Christ. And in theological terms, we call it a, a Christophany, a manifestation or a likeness of Christ. Christ is our Moses. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He's the one who's brought us out of the bondage of sin and slavery. And that picture is the same thing for you and I when we come to faith in Christ. Good things begin to happen. Now, I come from, I said this, the 60s and the 70s, and I lived what most, a lot of people didn't survive. I have plenty of friends in the graveyard. I mean, drugs, alcohol, riotous living. I lived that period of American history and literally survived because of Christ. And I often tell people, when you begin this journey with God and you begin to love him with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, you will begin to see him begin to turn things around in your life. And that's what God is telling Israel. You've been in bondage a long time. You don't even know what good food is like. You don't even know what constant food is and what. Well, let me tell you something. It'll take a while, but God's going to turn your life around. And that's what Jesus does for us. He begins to turn our lives around. I don't know about you, but my life needed a lot of turning around. In fact, I still need times turning around. And that's what it means. The greatest commandment. Uh... God then gives us a context for this passage. Israel's been set free. She's now wandering in the desert, kind of like when you become a believer. Oh, what church do I need to go to? Oh, what do I do next? Well, I found something very interesting. I've watched lots of people, including people that came through AA. One time I had a friend, and he said, one day his higher power told him he's going to meet his higher power. Guess who his higher power was? Jesus, and he met Christ. Through a divine intervention, Psalms 32 and 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you go. I will guide you with my eye. That's what is happening. That's the psalmist David writes that about God in our life. I want you to know that if we listen, he'll direct us. He'll guide us. He'll teach us. I've experienced this many, many times. So here comes Israel out of Egypt. They know the power of God to deliver and set them free from bondage. And now they're standing at a mountain called Sinai in the middle of the desert. Well, I thought God was going to turn my life around. And he had wells and all kinds of good things for me. And food. Here we are. Hey, Moses, I'm tired of this manna stuff this divine miracle of God. I need some flesh to eat. God gave them enough flesh, they began to throw up. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God is taking us on a journey, and if we put our hands in him and trust him, things begin to happen. It's a process. And they're at Mount Sinai, and God says, Moses, the type of Jesus, guess what? I'm going to start to now teach the people. They know my power. Now they're going to learn how to worship me. That's how I got birthed into the kingdom. That's how many of you got birthed into the kingdom. Something happened in your life. God intervened, changed your life. You found yourself in church and on the road to Mount Sinai. Then you came to Mount Sinai, which may have been the dwell. I don't know where it was. And you began to learn about God. God is now going to teach Israel. You know my power. Let me teach you how to worship me, how to love me. 
how to understand me, how to move forward in me. So Moses says, okay, people, this is what you need to do. God's going to speak tomorrow. I'm going to go up this mountain, but here's what you have to do. You have to wash your clothes, you have to wash your bodies, and you have to abstain from any kind of fleshly things like sex. Just for three days. Then come and stand at the mountain. Now, don't touch the mountain. Here, here. let me help you out about the don't touches in, in, in serving God. Prohibitions in the Word of God are there to protect you. Can I say that again? Prohibitions in the Word of God are there to protect you, not to steal your fun. Don't let the devil lie to you, okay? Because that's what he likes to do. Oh, I can't do this. Well, somewhere I heard the Apostle Paul say, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, including stay away from the prohibitions of God. Because there are a few. You know, I don't think anybody out here is murdering anybody. Hello. So the people come. God says, now, get close to the mountain, but don't touch it. Simply put, there were things they had to do to prepare. They had to wash their clothes, wash their bodies, and refrain from, from any kind of sexual activity. Why? God's just stealing all the fun. You're like a little kid who doesn't want to take a bath when his mother tells him to. Hello, it's not really the bath. It's the rebellion in us. Hello, anybody living at my house? Just a few, not everybody. And here they come, and they stand there, and Moses says, now, just wait. I'm going up the mountain, and I'm coming back. As Moses begins to traverse up the mountain, the mountain begins to quake and thunder, and things begin to happen. It's actually the word shofar, which means the voice of God. Anybody know what a shofar is? I should have brought a shofar. It's what Jewish people blow. It's a big, long animal horn. It's just, it gives you goosebumps when you hear it. It's because it's a biblical thing. And God manifests his presence through it. So it says, as Moses got closer to the mountain, God got closer because the closer we decide to get to God, God gets to us. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, what does it say? You're going to go hungry? No, it says you'll be filled. It's a principle again. But the initiation, God says it, then it's up to us to do it. Faith without works, James says, is dead on arrival. And Moses goes up, and it's getting spooky because they're beginning to experience things they've never experienced. Let me just tell you something. The things that are spooky with God wind up being those things you love and you want it to happen again. So Moses goes up there, and he's having communion with God, and the mountain's shaking, and the people are getting bored. Hello. Sometimes the mundane things of life can get us in trouble. Didn't your mother say the devil's workshop, idle hands? You don't have that mother, just me, right? So what happens? There's a troublemaker in the group. The next thing you know, they're jumping around a golden calf. They're doing all the things they weren't supposed to do. They're getting dirty and having sex. When they're up on the mountain... God takes these stones, and he carves them out, gives them to Moses, and he says, Moses, I got bad news for you. When you start to go down the hill, you're going to find a problem. 
Moses begins to go down the hill. He's all excited. He's had this relationship with God that he's going to tell the people they can have too. How you can get in to know God. You can be Jesus' inner circle. Are you hearing? Jesus did have an inner circle. And he says, as he comes down, he sees the people in absolute chaos. It's actually the Hebrew word confusion. Uh, There is a text that says uh, the people perish without a vision. That actually means confusion. Because who is the author of confusion? The devil. Moses goes from saint to sinner in 30 seconds, sees the people, takes the stone tab, takes these powerful oracles, these miracles of God, throws them on the ground, and they break into a million pieces, and he starts cursing the people. And then he, what does he do? Just like you and I, when we lose it, he gets down on his hands and knees, begins to pray. And then, Jesus, why do you talk like this? Pray for those who despitefully use you. Those things, you know. There's no one harder to pray for than the person that slapped you in the face. Hello. And guess what happens? And I just taught this to a brother the other day. I won't go into that. But when you start to dislike someone, start praying for them. And, and he, Moses begins to pray, and then he turns the whole thing around. He begins to intercede. God begins to do a new work. And how many of you know that God is a God of second chances? This is the Old Testament, not the New. He's a God of grace in the Old, too. The story gets turned around. The people get a second chance, just like you and me. I've needed a third, a fourth. I don't know. I kind of quit counting after a while. I don't even mark it on the wall. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Just The Bible says God is faithful if we confess our sins. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Here comes Moses. The people are back in order. He goes up the mountain, gets to the top. He goes, God, I need to tell you something. Those beautiful tablets that you gave me, I broke them. It's like God didn't know, you know. He says, will you make me another set? And grace says yes, because God says yes. But God says this, Moses, this time you're going to have to carve the stone I'm going to write out of them. Listen to me. When we sin, we often have time, just like you had to prepare to hear God. And then when we sin, sometimes we have a responsibility to make things right. Paul says if you've stolen, quit stealing, pay back those Zacchaeus principles. Pay back those you stole from. Zacchaeus went beyond grace. He paid him more than what he stole from him. So Moses carves them out. God writes them. Beautiful. They come down the mountain. Everything is patched up. God and Moses are good. The people are good. And the minute Moses is down the hill, the people are there with their earbuds on and they're listening. And he goes, Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Those are the first words the new believers heard. Those who had been delivered from bondage, who had experienced the power of God, now they're hearing the word of God and how to worship God. The word, the Lord is one is ihad. It's a powerful word. It's used many times in the Old Testament. See, it's actually a plural form of one. And what God is saying, I am monotheistic. I am the one and only true God. But there is a concept in that word, ihad, that incorporates 
very char- the characteristics of God, though he's one. Kind of like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. The concept today, and I've studied God's Word for decades, is still mind-boggling to me. I don't quite understand it. I think I have some built-in prejudice because we are taught as Jews never to worship any other false god. It's one of the big ten. In fact, that's one of the arguments when I, when I debate and talk with Jewish people to try to help them to understand the Trinity, the word echad. And there are other places in the Scripture, and God is saying, look, you don't have to look anymore. I'm telling you, if you found Jesus today, you don't have to look anywhere else. He's got the answers. Let me tell you something. He turns lives around. God is telling Israel, I'm going to turn your life around. I'm going to change it, make it new. You're not going to dread living. You're going to love living. I dreaded living so much I almost committed suicide. Then there was Jesus who turned my life. Did it happen in an instant? Some things happened in an instant, but other things took decades to happen. You are to love the Lord your God. The Lord is one. You are to love him with all your heart. Lechab. It's another interesting word. It's a compound meaning. And it has a, more than one meaning if you were to love God with your heart. First of all, your heart is described as in your innermost being. It's kind of like Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, out of your innermost being shall spring forth rivers of living water. It's, it's simply this, playing with pain. See, God is telling you, if you love me with all your heart, you're going to reach down deep. I don't know about your life. I know about mine. I can't comment on yours. There are times that life is hell, folks. It's tough. It's hard. And you want to just cast away God. It's almost a rebellious thing or, well, this didn't work for me or why isn't it happening? God says, don't question it. Reach down deep and play with pain. It's going out of this world dying of cancer when God doesn't hear you. Is that deep enough? The second concept of that is not just reaching down deep. And remember, we can do all things through Christ. We can die gracefully if it causes us to. We can take abuse and all kinds of things in life if we love God. We can reach deep. We can find a strength where Paul said one time, whether I live or whether I die, God be glorified. That's, those are powerful, powerful, powerful words. He, he was at a point where he said, just like Job, he's not going to deny God. Reaching down deep. Then it has the cutting off aspect. Um, I need to go quickly. There are things when we reach down deep, God begins to reel that we need to cut off in our life. I'm not telling you. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But if you're going to love God with all your heart, for me it was give up a 1954 Harley-Davidson chopper back in the old days. Let me tell you something. I sold it in 1974 for over $3,000. That's like about $40,000 today. It was cutting something off, cutting off a part of my old life. 
that I was hanging on to. Why? So I could love God with my old heart, my entire heart, playing with pain, reaching down. I can talk about playing with pain because I've played with pain. I was denounced by my family because I'm Jewish and I was a traitor. And then Jesus, off the words of the Bible, said, if you love your mother or father more than me, you're not worthy of my love. That's playing with pain. It's wanting to put your family aside to love God. God has restored a lot of that. But there was a time in my life I had to be estranged from my family if I was going to love God. So you can't tell me about hardship, folks. You can't tell me about cutting off. But I can tell you what the Word says. I can tell you the greatest commandment. Then it says, love God with all your soul. It's the Hebrew word nephesh. It's a marvelous word. Jesus said it this way. Don't be discouraged or don't worry about people that can destroy your body. He says, worry about who can destroy your soul, your nephesh. And only God can do that. If you're going to love God with all your soul, the concept is this. It involves two things. It's compound again. First, your intellect. Second, your emotion. Let me tell you something. I have no problem with emotion. I cry since I've been a sa saved. At the Sad commercials make me cry today. Ask my wife. Ask her how mean I used to be. Well, she only knew from a distance how mean I was. Well, she might argue that point. I don't know. <laughs> but I could walk over people very easily until I became a Christian. Then God took a heart and broke it, and that's what God's saying. Allow me to enter into your emotions and your intellect. A lot of times I find Christians one, or one way or the other. You're either intellectual or you're emotional. And God says, if you're going to love me with all your nephesh, your soul, you're going to incorporate the two. I'm going to move on to the last one because time is running out and Gabe's getting mad at me. Just kidding. He's not getting mad at me. It says, with all your strength, which is another interesting, powerful word. I'm going to sum it up like this. It's recklessly serving God. I don't know about you, but when I was not serving God, I was pretty reckless. I can remember coming down the grapevine from the other side of Bakersfield, and I was doing 115 miles an hour on my motorcycle. That was reckless. In fact, it still kind of gives me shudders when I think about it. And I could see traffic way up ahead, and I knew, I'm going fast. That traffic's going to be here pretty quick. And I was racing another guy, so my pride was in there. When you get reckless pride, you're in real trouble. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I started coming down, and I wasn't going to quit, and I started shooting the cars. It took me miles to slow down. It was reckless. God says, take your recklessness. And allow me to be your strength and serve me with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. It's the greatest commandment. And I say this, am I there? No, but I'm working on it. Are you there? I hope you are. But if you're not, I hope you're working on it.
because it's the greatest commandment, and it's not just in the old, it's in the new. Can I pray for you? Hashem, God, we thank you for this place and these people. I see these young faces with life ahead of them and the temptation and the challenge, Lord, of they're not going to be able to live life or it's going to be boring or they're not going to have a husband or they're not going to have a wife or so they're going to miss out. God, I just pray that you take that, that fear which controls them and you just cause it to vanish under the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that they find courage like Abraham to leave his family and the life that he knew to live the life for Christ and find the family of God. I pray your hand upon this church, Lord. God, I know you have a plan and a purpose. And God, you do that many times through a multitude of people, leadership, those who come and serve. And I'm praying that you put upon them the strength of God to serve you recklessly. I'm praying, God, that you speak to their spirits and you allow, they allow their emotions as well as their intellect, not one to dominate, but work together. And God, we pray your blessing, your brucha, your blessing upon this place in Yeshua's name, in Jesus' name. Amen.